From the news capital of the world, you've landed on the Daily Objective from the Ayn Rand Center UK. Jonathan Honig from CapitalistBig.com with James Valiant, a lawyer, a scholar, an author, a, an expert in objectivism, and so much more. We're delighted to have you with us from all over the world. And James is always delighted to have you with us as well to cover some breaking news with regard to something I know all of our listeners are pretty involved in, that is the social media world, uh, uh, kind of a major landmark ruling just coming down in the last couple of hours. Yes, it is just a trial court ruling. And so it's not a an appellate court ruling, much less a Supreme Court ruling. So it is just at the trial court level, and we can expect this to be tested on appeal. Uh, just going back a little bit, there's a case called Missouri versus Biden. And uh, it involves a lawsuit where uh, scientists, COVID scientists, in fact, filed suit saying that the government had suppressed uh, the information on social media by legal pressure, by coercion, by bullying and threats. Uh, so it's not claiming that social media companies are government agencies or the social media companies all on their own could ever engage in censorship. They seem to agree with us on that point uh, very strongly. What they object to is the coercive bullying from the government. Uh, basically, to explain to the listeners and viewers, that's essentially what was happening, right? Is that government was calling or contacting the social media companies and saying, can you take this down? Can you amplify this? Micromanaging them from behind. That Jen Psaki, Jen Psaki. Yeah, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said that they were, quote, in, in 2021, that they were, quote, in regular contact with all social media companies, that they were, quote, flagging disinformation and even, quote, borderline content on a regular basis. Um, yeah. Later on, uh, she said from the White House, so this is the official Biden administration position. This is the president talking to social media directly, saying that social media companies are, quote, killing people. And that was in July of 2021 from Jen Psaki. Uh, Jen Psaki in May of 2021 said that uh, social media companies could face, quote, legal consequences and, quote, be held accountable she made reference to antitrust laws, the lifting of uh, liability for social media. And of course, uh, members of both uh, uh, parties in Congress were making those kind of threats as well. So they were threatening to take legal action on antitrust, mind you, something that had nothing to do with the speech itself. We will nail you for antitrust if you don't suppress the information we ask you to suppress. And lo and behold, in nearly every single case, Twitter complied with the government's request. Facebook complied with the government's request when they were having regular contact between a government. See, <clears throat> the judge had to, in this case, it's a trial court. The judge issued a preliminary injunction forbidding uh, contact between social media and certain government agencies. These include the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Centers for Disease Control, certain other uh, elements. The, they, it turns out that some of the disinformation turned out to be exactly true, of course, and the government has no business saying, this is disinformation, this is misleading. The, uh, that is, if the government had done it themselves, we'd clearly call it censorship. But if they're putting a gun to private uh, companies' heads, isn't that a form of indirect censorship? That's actually a point I want to bring up, Jim. I mean, you know, people, I think most, uh, people out there still don't understand, I believe the objectivist perspective that censorship can only be 
committed by the government. Here's Ms. Rand's words. Censorship is a term pertaining only to government action. No private action is censorship. No private individual or agency can silence a man or suppress a publication. Only the government can do so. Now, I'll play devil's advocate for a minute here. What about those who say, look, uh, a counselor, it's not like the government was forcing Twitter to take down those messages questioning vaccines. They were just recommending. They were just you know, suggesting that Twitter was, would do it. Oh, come on. They were acting like gangsters. They were making them an offer they couldn't refuse. Yeah, it'd be a shame if anything happened to your uh, liability exemption around here, although it has nothing to do with this. It'd be a shame if we filed an antitrust suit against you guys, wouldn't it? Uh, so yeah, no, that's threat. That's threats, and that's a kind of censorship. And Ayn Rand also said the following in an article that is right on point. An article that uh, was in the Objectivist Newsletter in 1962 called "Have Gun Will Nudge," which is directly on point. It seems to me here where Ayn Rand says censorship in its old-fashioned meaning is a government edict that forbids a discussion of some specific subject or uh, subjects or ideas, uh, such for instance as sex, religion, criticism of government officials, and uh, edict enforced by the government's scrutiny of all forms of communication uh, prior to its release. But the stifling of freedom of men's minds, uh, but for the stifling of uh, the freedom of men's minds in the, mo the modern method is much more uh, potent. It rests on the power of non-objective law, <laughs> about like antitrust laws, right? a non-objective law, um, it neither forbids nor per permits anything. It never defines or specifies. It merely delivers men's lives, fortunes, and careers, ambitions into the arbitrary power of a bureaucrat who can reward or punish at whim. It spares the bureaucrat the troublesome necessity of committing himself to rigid rules, and it places upon the victims the burden of discovering how to please him with a fluid unknowable as their only guide. Let me suggest that that what Ayn Rand nailed it there and completely anticipated this precise case here. So while it is true censorship is only government action, it must be physical coercive force. A social media company like Twitter cannot engage in censorship. Even if they were to say, look, we're gonna suppress all conservative opinion, or we're gonna suppress all leftist opinion. That's their right. If if Elon Musk wants to have an irrational, I think some of what Elon Musk has done over Twitter has been pretty erratic and irrational, but if he wants to be as erratical, rational, or irrational as he wants to be, it's his private property, it's his living room, and he sets the rules. And he can exclude anyone he wants, include anyone he wants. But when someone comes up to someone like that and points a gun to his head, and they're a government agent making threats like uh, they could face legal consequences, they're killing people with COVID disinformation, there's antitrust laws we can use. That is a threat. And that is an indirect form of censorship. I so mean, I was I, actually, three yeah. cheers for this judge. Yeah, I mean, I was furious, Jim, actually, when I, I read this, and I was thinking to myself, this is what government is doing. You know, they're they're contacting private publishers, private social media companies, and making suggestions about what tweets should be promoted, what tweets should be taken down. And, you know, with a, one of the, the folks who worked on the case described it as Orwellian. And, you know, I think in this case, it's pretty it. appropriate. The judge said that this is like the Orwellian Ministry of Truth. That's the judge in issuing. We have a link, I think, to the opinion in the show notes. I, I, I hope we have, we've got that. Uh, where people can read a long opinion himself. The judge makes all of these really good factual and legal points along the way because the Supreme Court has opened free speech up beyond 
prior restraint laws. Uh, why, why is there not the anger and vitriol, I think, uh, against the government in this case, as there was against the social media companies for years now? Oh, they're stifling free speech. No, they accused the social media companies, I think many in the public, for, for censoring, but kind of lay it easy on the government when in this case, this is direct censorship. As you said, I mean, you know, when, when Elon decides who's on and who's off Twitter, that's his right, it's his company. But when, when government, when Jen Psaki calls and said, can you do this? It's a, there's a gun behind that. Harry Binswanger, obviously a well-known objectivist, gentleman who has a, a show on this network, he has paraphrased Ms. Rand by saying, the threat of force is force. And isn't that just it, right? When Jen Psaki calls, she doesn't say, I got a gun pointed at your head, but she does. She does. She's threatening legal action. Legal, and mind you, legal action that really has nothing to do with the case at hand. You know, you'll be sued because someone will get hurt. No, that's not what she's saying. She's saying, we'll take action quite independently uh, on antitrust basis or your general liability uh, protections, those kind of things. Nothing to do with his threat. Now, the judge went out of his way to say that this does not prevent all government communication with private individuals or organizations. Let's say that the government is planning a, an attack during during a war uh, tomorrow and the New York Times gets wind of it, the, can the Pentagon contact the New York Times and say, could you please just delay the publication for a day or two until this battle takes place? Uh, yes, you can do that. That's perfectly permissible. Let's say there's a criminal investigation, they're investigating a murder case and they don't want the information compromised or the suspect to know something. Could could the could a, the Department of Justice call the, DO, uh, the New York Times and say, hey, could you just delay publication of this for a minute until we uh, talk okay, to the defendant. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate for a moment if I could. Wouldn't the, the Biden administration say, well, look, this disinformation that for exact vaccines should be questioned is killing people. It is a public health emergency, just as a question of a war. You could have hundreds of thousands of people die. Again, I'm devil's advocate. If vaccine misinformation is put out, isn't that what government would say? One of the wonderful, it shouldn't matter the truth. Lies are protected under the First Amendment. Disinformation is protected under the First Amendment. Who gets to decide what disinformation is? And if you're preventing scientists, and one of the things the judge said in this injunction, that's remarkable, he said, simple basic facts that no one disputed were suppressed. For example, the survival, you point about the death rate, the survival rate from COVID being 99.96 something percent. Uh, and that for people under 60, it was even much, much smaller. So you say this is killing people? <laughs> now the White House had to even back out when it said social media was killing people. Oh no, it's these uh, scientists. And these scientists who in many cases turned out to be right. And so the judge said, well, wait a minute here. If, if you were suppressing basic scientific truths like natural immunity, which has been well-known and well-documented, and now everyone all the, of the world talks about it, it's just they can't talk about it in American social media? Well, that's now crazy. That has nothing to do with protecting people. In fact, the judge made a really good point. It is giving people all the information and all the different opinions which will protect people and allow them to make their own safety decisions, as opposed to the government telling you what's saying dangerous and safe. That puts me in danger. But I'm dependent on the government's information now? No, 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 no. What's, uh, what's frightening, frightening, Jim, is you know, think of, you know, if this was the executive branch or the legislative branch, we would probably have both branches, those branches of government calling 
Facebook and Twitter all the time. I mean, this is, is this one indication of the brilliance of the American system of government? It's only the judicial branch, which is kind of protecting in this case, real free speech in America. Exactly correct. Exactly correct. And this judge did a really great thing in my view. He zeroed in. He went out of his way to say that private organizations like social media companies are not government agencies. The First Amendment does not apply to them. Censorship under the First Amendment involves government action. He was exactly right. And he zeroed in on the bullying, coercive, constant communications from government, backed up with threats, he, he, he noted, that actually turns this into a kind of censorship case. So it's a really good case. Now, as I say, it's a trial level case. We still haven't, on Thursday, yesterday, the Just, Biden Justice Department uh, said it's going to uh, appeal. It's going to, and boy, they're all, look, look, ding, ding, they're out of the gates and we're on our way, I think, to the appellate courts and the Supreme Court on this one, because the Biden uh, administration is fighting the judge's injunction here. So let's wait for the trial to happen. Let's wait for these issues to get up on appeal. Uh, but we could have some good. That's a good look. Is such a good. Is that a really a good look politically? I know you're not necessarily a political analyst. You know, Robert Nasser, thanks for this contribution. He says separation of social media and state inconceivable. I mean, but why is it that? I mean, the, the Biden administration and many on the right would say you've got to have government regulating social media. It's, it, you know, that's the public square. We, we can't just have, you know, anyone running it. We need to make sure there's rules of the road. So, you know, there, this is what makes this judge ruling so exemplary is that there's few voices for true uh, freedom of speech these days. The right to have your own house, if you will, and decide what is said inside of it. Some of the worst uh, culprits here are Republican congressmen who kept asking for antitrust uh, prosecution of social media. They don't like a lot of these co conservative commentators like uh, Tucker Carlson. They don't like big tech because they're big. They don't like big tech because they're just uh, these out of control tech companies. They're anti-corporate. They're anti-big. They don't understand capitalism or censorship. <laughs> if it bit them in the, the rear end. So yeah, these conservatives don't have the first clue uh, and so what you got is you got right wingers who don't on, do not understand what makes this case special. And on the other, so they're not they're kind of yawning in some ways in some quarters. And in other cases, you know, this isn't this is not even addressing the issue as far as Tucker Carlson's concerned in a serious way. And then on the left, you've got oh no, they're in favor outright of censorship. They think what they call not only disinformation but borderline information. The government should be able to suppress. And on total issues that have nothing to do with national security or physical safety. That's crazy. And once again, the total blurring of Ms. Rand's concepts of, of, of uh, political power and economic power. You know, exactly. when, when, when your uh, viewers call and say, can you take a tweet down? That's economic power. But when the government calls and says, can you take a tweet down? That's political power. Catherine Casico, thanks for your contribution. Jim, she wants to know, do you have any guess on the trajectory of the case? Where does it go from here? Yeah, I think, well, this is a, the judge here was appointed by Trump. And so this is not totally unexpected uh, that the, ru the ruling would come down like this. The circuit, the federal circuit court of appeals that he's under, however, has previously overruled this judge on a couple of occasions. So I'm not sure how it'll fare in the fifth circuit court of appeals. It'll probably depend on which three judges are appointed to the three judge panel to decide it. But all that aside, this thing is probably heading to the Supreme Court where I actually think they'll have very friendly ears listening mm -hmm. to them on this because, and it could include 
some of the left-wing members uh, of the Supreme Court, not just the right-wing members, but I expect Gorsuch and Roberts and people like that, even Clarence Thomas, to be able to see the issue here and to see this as a real issue of censorship, as opposed to the pseudo-censorship that the right has been basically kvetching about for the last five years. Thank you, Christopher Smith, for your generous contribution as well. Jim, you know, Dr. Brooke, your own Brooke, always talks about the necessity for a separation of state and economics. Do we also need a separation of state and speech? Yes. Well, we thought the founding fathers had built that into the system. You know, freedom of speech, freedom of press are built into the very first amendment of the Bill of Rights. And the courts have it, have indicated, yeah, you can't have prior restraint, but they've also expanded it beyond that. Any kind of government bullying or coercion, government Force is the key here. Government bullying and threats of coercion and coercion, that can be censorship, even if it's not prior restraint. But it only applies to the government. Thank goodness we still have decent Supreme Court law on this. Private individuals are free to say whatever the heck they like. And actually, I mean, I'm of the mind that we really could have uh, maybe buoyed by this ruling. And I don't know if you think maybe this is an indication of a sea change here. Uh, we've got uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta coming out with what they're calling a Twitter killer. This is Threads. So, you know, we could see some really great competition in the social media space for more voices, differentiated voices, you know, better user experiences and all. And, and how, you know, why would anyone invest in this space knowing that they're going to get a call from government saying, eh, we need you to change your business policy. So maybe this is a good indicator. It will bring more innovation, more capital into the space, knowing that government's going to have a harder time intervening. Competition is the key. I heard your wonderful discussion yesterday. We had a great RQK discussion yesterday on just that uh, Threads, the new the the, the new uh, uh, Meta uh, outlet. I signed up for uh, Threads uh, an account yesterday and linked it to my Insta Instagram account. And uh, oh, I heard you also on uh, Varney this morning talking about Threads. <laughs> so I think competition really is the answer here. You know, you got Elon Musk over here now taking over Twitter. Uh, Meta has may have a real competitor here now with threads against Twitter. So let, why don't we let market force work this out? Can you imagine if, you know, you had all these competitors, but government kept calling Twitter, not Elon's or not uh, Zuckerberg on Twitter. Well, you guys got to do this. You got to do this. So even that is that little quiet finger of government force can tip the scales tremendously. If the government, if we, this is a key though here, censorship in this case depends upon a deeper point, a separation of state and all of economics. If the government didn't have the regulate, have the power to regulate uh, uh, antitrust, if the government didn't have the power to make that threat, if the government didn't have the power to engage in confiscatory taxation, which is in my view, another gun put to their head, et cetera, et cetera. If we separated state and economics and got the government out of economics altogether, or at least as much as we can, then this problem would go away. This implicit censorship through threats of economic regulation would go away. So civil liberties once more critically depend on property rights and economic liberties, ladies and gentlemen. There can be not, you can't have one without the other in the long run. It's economic regulations that are here, a kind of censorship on speech. Think about that. Civil liberties and economic liberties are tied like that. Uh, you, it, it's easy to see. If the government owned all the newspapers, all the printing presses, it's clear to see that would be censorship. But even if all the, uh, if you think the fascist model of economics, right? All the printing presses are privately owned. Only the government tells them how to use those printing presses. That too is censorship. That too is totalitarianism and the suppression of our basic rights. And 
maybe the single most important right. Because if we don't have freedom of speech, then we have lost the power to convince others, to persuade the world, to change the world, to peacefully change things in the English-speaking world to a better condition. And Ayn Rand said that could cause us to get to a point where we need to revolt. <laughs> I wasn't agree. One of, wasn't one of Ms. Rand's uh, indicators of a dictatorship was the loss of free speech. Precisely. She that said that one of the key lines. Uh, and it was one of the things cited, by the way, in the Declaration of Independence as a, one of America's uh, justifications for breaking with Great Britain. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, the irony is it's always so uh, refreshing that, for example, in America, you can insult the president. You can call him a dirty SOB. You know, in so many parts of the world, certainly in, uh, you know, less developed, let's say, less Western parts of the world, you know, you can go to jail for insulting the royal family or the sheik. So, you know, I, I think, as you said, this is a real uh, a good indicator for the judicial branch trying to protect free speech at a time in America when so many other elected officials seem to want to destroy it altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're always keeping your free speech open here at the Iran Center UK, and we're so delighted that you make us part of your weekly media diet. You know, we've got James Valiant here. James runs innumerable private study groups that are only available to members of the Iran Center UK, and I've enjoyed them. And you know, I would have enjoyed them probably even more when I was first reading Iran Rand. And that's, I think, what we really want people to do, right, Jim? Is pick up some Iran Rand, pick up some of the fiction pick up some of the essays. You quoted some of the stuff from the Objectivist newsletter. People say, oh, I know Ayn Rand. They haven't read anything yet. They really don't. Most people think they know what Ayn Rand says and they don't have a clue. And the only way to know is to read Ayn Rand. Ladies and gentlemen, read Atlas Shrugged, read Ayn Rand's nonfiction essays. Ayn Rand was the most brilliant essayist of the last 200 years. And there's been some good ones out there. <laughs> do, absolutely. That's what we have to do. I find it a therapeutic necessity to often return <laughs> and I'll always find something new, no matter how many times I've read the piece before. And I know we both recommend the Ayn Rand Center Lexicon, edited by Harry Binswanger, who's on this channel. He, he worked on it with Miss Rand. And it's a great starting point. So she covered this topic. She covered education. She covered all these topics. So it's a great point to kind of get a starting off point for reading more, whether it's in the fiction, whether it's the nonfiction. So, you know, philosophy is about living on earth. Objectivism is about life on earth. So avail yourself of Miss Rand's wisdom benefit from James' uh, assistance in learning this philosophy and make us part of your intellectual journey here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. Any final words for the week, Jim? No, you know, if you find this content, and we have a very unique perspective, once more, you can see with this case, we have a perspective that's different from the right, different from the left, different from the standard things you'll mostly hear. And if you think this unique content is valuable, I please just do think about or I or couldn't urge you in any more strongly than I possibly could. I think this is the most important work. Uh, people at the Ayn Rand Institute and people here at Ayn Rand Center uh, UK are trying to change the world. Uh, for the good. And if you think that's what we're doing, please, value for value, support your selfish, support your long-term selfish values and become a paid subscriber. Hit like, subscribe, share. That stuff matters. And we can get the message out and create a worldwide community of like-minded people. And you get, as a subscriber, you get so much. Tomorrow at 4 p.m. UK time, it's the History of Astronomy course with Joseph Tabenkin. It's for ARC UK Platinum members and above only. 
And then on Sunday at 3.30 UK, it's the History of Philosophy course with James Vallant. Again, it's only for ARC UK members. It'll also be live streamed for YouTube members. That I believe is based on Dr. Peikoff's History of Philosophy, which is a fabulous course. You will learn so much. And even if you don't know, if you've never taken philosophy before, it's just that you'll, you'll finish it feeling like you are so educated and so more knowledgeable. And Jim, you're a great assist with that. So we'll be, we'll be with that on Sunday at 3.30. But only for Ayn Rand Center UK members. So as Jim said, do it, do it now. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you next week. We'll see you this weekend. And from all of us here at the Ayn Rand Center UK, best premises. Be well.